0: Mentioned uh, (coughs) critical culture was at Malincrot and some of the companies where you are in your teams and your management style. So, is there a specific return on investment that you witnessed yourself as a result of a culture initiative or an implement when you implemented it? Because that's one of the questions that we always get, you know, when we try to implement it. That's why people talk about it rather than actually implement it, right, in real life in many different environments. How were you be? How were you able to implement the culture initiative, and what did it do in terms of ROI ultimately? Uh, you know,
1: good question. I'll, um, so um, I don't want to get too specific, I, but uh, I'll say one one thing is you have to develop a good relationship, a good working relationship with marketing and sales. Okay. And in fact, I have a talk. You on my LinkedIn profile. You can download the slides. That I did at I for Pharma called sales is from Mars, Marketing is from Venus. Because yeah. <clears throat> there people in sales are short-term action-oriented, you know, drive today. Marketers are analytical, strategic, drive the future, you know, and it's they're very different thought processes. And and they may be wanting different things, right? But you have to align at on what you're really what you're working on. Because the worst thing you can do is point fingers. Uh, and and that does happen. So align marketing and sales so that there's no finger pointing. I think that's like the most important thing is that the senior leaders have got to be aligned. If that's not aligned game on game over. Like I'm not going to work. Don't, don't even worry about anything else. Um, which means you got to support the marketers for sales leader, and you got to support the salespeople if you're a marketer. Right. And you got to align around it. I think <laughs> that so that's, that's really important creating an environment within the organization of alignment and culture. I mean, the second thing is, is, a lot of it is like really walking the walk. It's like, you know, a lot of people forget that when you're a functional lead and you're sitting at the table with other functional leads that you're responsible across functions to lead that part of the organization. But you do have a degree of advocacy to your own function. You do, you do have a position that you need to be support to, prepared to uh, support right? Of the sales organization. And I think a lot of the time that's where people get a little bit off, right? Um, But you do have to have that because your team needs to know that you know what they're doing, that they're working really hard and that the company values it. So you need to build that value proposition across other people and also stand for the things that your function is going to need to be successful. And I think that's really critical and your teams need to know that that you're doing yes. I mean, the third thing is in the sales team look at the end of the day sales forces are volunteers I don't care how good you are as a manager a national sales director a vice president you can't get out in the car with every single one of them every single morning and make sure they get out early and go home late right you just can't do it and and even if you could those people are motivated extrinsically. They're motivated from the outside. They may be motivated by fear, Right? it's not good. So salespeople need to be inspired. They need to know that what they do makes a difference, in what way it makes a difference, to whom it makes a difference, why it makes a difference. They need to be uh, recognized for that, rewarded for that, Right? supported in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I, those are really critical things. That's the walk in the talk of the culture that makes the biggest difference. And then the other thing you need to do is leave them alone.
0: <laughs> yeah. The best government is one that's least governed, right?
1: Right. If your senior leadership needs reports, make reports, get them to help you but come up from the bottom, but don't send them spreadsheets to fill out. Don't, don't keep the, look, a salesperson's function is selling.
0: Yeah, selling. yeah,
1: right. A butter knife is used to slice butter, but they're very often used as screwdrivers. They're not good screwdrivers. <laughs> Salespeople aren't analysts. They're not marketers. Right? And every moment they're not talking to a salesperson, I mean, every moment that they're talking to the company and not a customer is a moment of opportunity cost is wasted.
0: That's a great insight. I hope people listen in to this. Yep. Yeah.
1: You keep them at home doing your spreadsheets, they're not talking to customers. Oh, and by the way, when they do, they're not excited about it because that's the other element of sales. Selling is as much a transfer of energy and emotion as it is information and persuasion. If you show up as a salesperson with the best message in the world and you're not engaged with your organization, that, the, the customer leaves with that. They leave with how you show up. They don't leave with what you talked about.
0: Yeah.
1: So if you're a sales leader, you need to be giving energy to your salespeople all the time. And I mean all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, and I always tell sales, sales managers, like you need to know, they need to know that you value them more than anybody else could. It's like a relationship. If you're not valuing a relationship, someone comes along and they're like, Hey, kind of me, I might value you more and okay. might think about it. Right. But if in your relationship, you know, Hey, I'm valued more than anybody else is going to that makes a huge difference. That gets right back to what I was going to talk about in terms of, of ROI In rare disease, especially I think in anything, but in rare disease, especially the relationships that they build with their customers really, really matter a lot. Right. And if they leave, it takes a long time for someone else to go back in there and build those relationships. And in that period of time, the business falls. So a big part of leadership in a sales organization, in addition to doing everything well and giving them a reason to believe and inspiring them, Mm -hmm. is managing your turnover.
0: It's expensive and time-consuming.
1: Very expensive, very time consuming. I mean, it's so, and we had a lot of turnover and it was because it was a really hard job Mm -hmm, and the, there were companies with other, uh, you know, newer prospects. Everybody had relationships across the business. I mean, it was challenging, but you know, I think we did as good a job as you can possibly do. I don't think anyone actually, I genuinely believe no one left the company because they wanted to leave the company. They let, there may have been a better opportunity. There may have been something that, that was compelling for them to leave, but they didn't leave because of their manager. And that's why most people leave.
0: Right. Dave, uh, thank you so much for that insight, because the words that I heard you say, stand up. When you stand up for your team as a leader, then your team also ends up stand, standing up for you and not leaving for other prospective companies, right? Like based on your yeah. example. And uh, I, you know, I use that, those words a lot, you know, at all out coach in my videos. And when I coach individually as well, personally, I tell a lot of people earlier in their career uh, that character means standing up for yourself. But a strong character is when you stand up for not just for yourself, but for others. That's really what I, I took out of your examples there being able to stand up and address the what's in it for me. You talked about- I'll tell
1: one more thing right there, though. It, it is the personal touch that makes a huge difference, though, from a leader. I really want to apologize because one of the most important mentors I ever had, I didn't mention, and his name yes. is Mike Kasich. And Mike was the head of the business unit of neuroscience at Shire. And unfortunately, he had a very rare disease called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh-huh. And it killed his father, three of his brothers, him- and his son
0: Him also. Hmm.
1: and he died he, Mike died at the age of 49 um, but Mike was one of the most authentic and personally engaged leaders I've ever met in my life and he genuinely cared about people. if you stood up at a meeting and you gave a presentation you were gonna get a personal note from Mike telling you exactly how well you did right. no matter what and there's this framed picture out there that he, he gave to one of my friends. Uh, and it says, you know that thing you've always wanted to go do? Go do it. Yeah. And his life was such an inspiration. His, at his, at his funeral, they played the song Lucky Man. Because he said, in spite of everything in the, you know, the short span of his life, he was very lucky man. And he was a really wonderful human. And I say that because if you're a leader of any type, yeah. inexpensive, unexpected, thoughtful acts of kindness, communication, personalization, it matters. I used to call the reps on the phone all the time when I was a national sales director. And at first they're like, why is he calling? What's going on? You know, and, and then I'd say, Hey, I was just looking at this, the results from yesterday. You did a really good job. Congratulations. And so it got out in the field. Like if you get a call from Dave, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I actually started building really close relationships with a lot of the reps. And mm-hmm. I tell the managers, I'm not managing around you. I'm not doing your job. But they need to know that I'm here, and that I care about them, right? I'm not going to do your job. I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's you know, that's the Dave Giles brand that you were able, personal brand that you were able to build, and that, I'm glad you just shared that that example, which is a-
1: and and like when we went to Presence Club this last year, uh-huh. I wrote a personal note to everyone at Presence Club that I met, and a lot of them weren't even on our therapeutic area, but I wrote a, a personal note to everybody. To to be given to them on the day before we left. And I gave them to the travel people and said, you know, take these around to the rooms. And I would write exactly like Christian Fumarola. I really enjoyed going fishing with you and your wife. It was a tremendous amount of fun. Please tell her that I said hi. Best of luck in in Florida. Talk to you soon, Dave. You know, people that's it's a forgotten gesture. But just taking a minute to call somebody or write a letter, it's credible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a, a story about, about being the leader of the people and um, people standing up for, for others uh, as well. At one startup where I worked, uh, I was at a Christmas party. You know, we had a great product. It was the next generation product that had the best efficacy safety profile. But we were fighting against a, a giant, basically. You know, a giant with many more resources and everything like that. So to make a long story short, the uh, company failed. company was failing. But I was very close, even though I was in medical, I was working very closely with my commercial team and partners, really, my partners in New York. Because I really believe that sales is a, taking, uh, also taking part of the patient continuum of care in the same, to the same degree as the medical, or field medical liaisons are as well, right? And uh, you know, I was at this Christmas party and uh, they, they tell me about a, a, an executive who had left had left, and they kind of joked uh, saying that, oh, did you have him fired, right? And I said, no, why, why, why would you say that? And they told me this personal story where apparently he uh, started to question some of my relationships with those shared customers in New York in the same ecosystem in front of a different function, even though this was an executive of medical. These, a lot of these sales reps, apparently when they were questioned, about my relationships and my activity or my intentions, right? Because, because of the relationships that I had formed over the two or three years with these commercial teams, they got up one by one and they defended me because they trusted and they knew the intentions that I had with and the relationships that I had formed with those same customers that they were seeing for other reasons, right? right? And, and that really was, made me upset, I'll be honest with you. Uh, because I was misunderstood. But also it made me feel very empowered. And it was the impetus for why I started the whole All Out Coach project on my personal time, because mm-hmm. I realized the impact that I could have based on what I do and the relationships I form with others. Yeah. And so the standing up and your stories really, really resonate with me personally as well. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to share that with you. Well, thank
1: you. I, you know, it's, The situation you just told me is that person was threatened because you had better relationships with some of the company's most important customers than they did.
0: Probably. I don't know.
1: (laughs) But they were trying to position themselves politically internally that they were bigger than they actually may have been. Right. That's my suspicion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your relationships with medical, with field medical, with medical affairs. I know that you have led commercial sales teams, but I mean, uh, what what is the role of the medical liaison? Because I know a lot of them may listen to this podcast. If you can address them, just in briefly, that would be great uh, in terms of their role and you know now
1: and in the future. Yeah. Um, so I I have worked a lot with medical medical affairs over time in a lot of different roles, um, obviously in sales and sales leadership. Uh, Although there is to some, it depends on the company, but there is a bit of an arm's length relationship, uh, a a bit of a firewall between the the salespeople and the sales organization and the medical science liaisons. And just, again, companies are all different. Um, And I'm not 100% certain of the most recent compliance for that, so I don't want to comment to it. It, Things change, right? But I do know that there was a a separation. Um, But I had the opportunity also when working in commercial and strategy uh, on a brand in lifecycle management to work with medical and with R&D to provide commercial perspective to future research programs to, to pursue other indications because we had the uh, data and the product strategy long term and they had their data and you know so I could say it would be commercially valuable if we could get this indication I said well our studies indicate our studies s- seem to signal that we could have a positive result with that kind of trial okay. What does that mean commercially? What does it mean R&D? So I've had a lot of experiences with, with R&D uh, in that sense and, and medical affairs. Um, but I would say to me, and I, I'm actually going to rely on you a little bit more. So you, you check me on this. Sure. But to me, maybe I can tell you what I don't think uh, salespeople should expect of MSLs. Sure. I don't think a salesperson should expect an MSL to come in and sell.
0: Thank you. Yes.
1: Um, And I don't think the fact that an MSL won't come in and sell means that they're not doing their job or they're not a good MSL. Um, Because there are some salespeople who will bring in everybody else to sell for them. And I give those people a lot of credit because they are smart in using their resources. But I'd also say, you can't do that much sometimes. Um, I think that it's the responsibility of the MSL I think it's two way. Mm-hmm. One is as a liaison to the, um, the, the academic and thought leadership communities of any disease state or therapeutic area, it is about having those relationships, um, understanding the needs and also the, the focus of those individuals, uh, because they're all different. Right. And then have, to me, I think that the MSL should own that relationship with those, um, with their customers. Just like, I think that specialists should own the relationship. Salespeople should own the relationship with their customers because too often if everybody tries to own the relationship, no one does. And inevitably you're going to have coordination breakdowns and the left hand and right hand aren't talking and it looks bad. Right? So I think someone's got to own the relationship. And I used to always Mm -hmm. tell the reps when I was out with them, look, you know, I'm national sales director. I'm not here to own your relationships, but I'm here to support you in owning them. know, I'm here to help you. I think that's the way companies should think about MSLs. It's like you own the relationship to the point you were making earlier. The MSL owns the relationship. When we want to liaise with Dr. X, Y, Z, we need to work with the MSL to coordinate that activity to make sure that it's seamless, Mm -hmm. right? Because I don't think companies do that. Like they'll see someone as a global thought leader. And then the next thing you know, the head of some function headquarters is like talking to them and then their MSL doesn't know that. And they go in and, Say, oh, I was just talking to the head of your such and such, and they're like, huh? Right. So there's a lot of customer relationship management there, but it's important for the MSL to be the hub.
0: Absolutely agree. And, and that the is a other, dilemma. That is a real I can confirm. Oh, I know. As well. yep. I know.
1: Um, and well, but see, well, I'm gonna give you the flip side of all this in just a minute, but let's say that's the way I think it ought to be. Right. I
0: agree completely.
1: Um I also think the companies that MSLs have responsibility to provide input to commercial, specifically on the marketing side, and also to medical affairs, about the trends that they hear about from their customers and other insights that their customers may generate that can help inform strategy. Not necessarily the execution strategy, but definitely strategy. And I think that the marketers and everyone else need to actually listen to the MSLs because one of the things that i found about MSLs is sometimes if you're the MSL who's willing to say what needs to be said, they don't want to hear it, <sighs> right? So the company needs to be open to hear what it is the MSL is bringing in yes. and not necessarily be dismissive of it. Right. And, the, and the MSL needs to understand that the company actually wants to hear it and isn't just bringing them in because they need to show that they're working with the MSL.
0: I, you know, and all our of okay. I say, positivity is a reaction, not a perception. Right. You know, that's how I kind of see, see right. that, that distinction that you just made.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So, but here's the challenge. If I'm a company, and this is the thing that I think the MSL community has got to figure out an answer to. If I'm the company and I've got 50 key opinion leaders and I've got X number of MSLs. And I say the MSLs own the relationships. MSLs are like, that's like the hottest ticket these days. (laughs) And MSLs are moving around. right? So I don't know if I want to hire an MSL and build relationships for them if they're going to leave. But flip side is, if I hire an MSL who already has relationships, it's valuable to me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: so I think there's got to be something in the contract between the two and I don't know the answer to that right because I think if companies are doing like when you were describing what you did earlier in my mind I was thinking why would they do that like that doesn't make sense to me but why would they do it that's the kind of reason why it's like they're thinking I don't want as a company we don't want to lose the control of the relationship right Right? maybe yeah, I don't so know. I that's the challenge is just and, and maybe the way that MSL could do that is demonstrate to the company that they are acting in the company's best interest at all times. I mean, maybe even going above and beyond to demonstrate that. I've seen some really good leaders in medical affairs and any other function, and i have seen some not as good leaders in medical affairs and other functions, right? I think it's challenging for MSL sometimes to have a good leader because a lot of the things that you learn in leadership on the commercial side i just don't know, i don't know what medical affairs teams do to help m- leaders of msls learn those same experiences
0: yeah those those soft skills which is really a misnomer which they're not soft they're actually critical right hard to learn hard to really adapt and adopt into your well,
1: by the time you've gotten to an advanced degree you've got a phd you've had to deal with defending your perspective enough times that you're you know that just becomes ingrained into who you are and you've got to be critical of other people, so they have to think through what it is that their perspective is. But I think you just have to acknowledge that. It's like I've always told people um, in meetings, I always say, look, my bias in this decision is to go this way. So I'm just telling you that. I'm disclosing that because if you're going to convince me, I need to understand why going this way is better than going that way. Right? And I'm willing to listen to you. That's the other thing. I I want to hear what you have to say because I always tell people I have, I own my opinions. They don't own me. If I get new data, I'll change my mind because the opinion doesn't own who I am. I own it as part of my thought process. Right.
0: Yeah. There's a scientific method to sales and to, to, to everything that we do. Yeah. That's pure pure scientific method. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much for a lot of credible real life stories and lessons I want to ask you one question about what your escape is so that people can get to know you a little bit more personally. What are some uh, activities in which you kind of lose yourself? You know, I like to ask this question to leaders you know, during my interviews.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, you know, we talked about this earlier. I'm, I'm really passionate about making a difference. And what I'm trying to do right now is uh, I actually have a plan. Um, for the things that I plan to do over the next few years. And one of them is to drive the awareness of pheochromocytoma so that more people will be appropriately diagnosed and we can impact the outcomes of lives there. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Um, I would like to continue to mentor people and help them grow and develop. A lot of people that i worked with call me, you know, I tell them, look, you know, advice is worth, worth what you pay for it. And I don't charge, but I <laughs> just, I like to stay involved and help people that I've worked with because I see them be successful and it makes me feel positive about that. A good friend of mine calls me a solutionizer, like I like to solve problems. And But I, I, I personally think, although I'm not a scientist or a physician, I think there are things that we could be doing as a nation right now to help people, uh, not necessarily treat the COVID-19 virus, but prepare their bodies so that they don't overreact uh, from an immune or inflammatory response and cause more problems than than need be, right? Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine once had his office um, wallet said, the biggest problems we have today are caused by trying to solve other problems, unintended consequences. And I think a lot of what happens with any of these infections mm-hmm. is, it's the overreaction, um, I'm clearly using lay terms, the overreaction of the immune response and, and inflammation that causes the end organ damage or, you know, any other of the, the, the real challenges that people are dealing with. And I think it's, you know, understanding the cytokine storm um, and, and what you can do about it. So I think that there's a, a, if I were talking to MSLs, I'd say learn about what can be done to help people, simple things that can be done to help individuals who could contract this, this uh, infection to help their bodies manage the reaction better. And I, again, I'm going to send you some slides that I've thought of, but I'm, I'm really passionate about learning and, uh, I'm, I'm reading a couple of books right now. I'm very excited about, but, uh, you know, that that's what gets me excited. And I think the other thing is just seeing my kids. Like that's the most important thing. Um, I, I would, you, would you agree with me, Cooper? Yeah. See, he agrees with me. I mean, I always say that
0: walking you, the talk. Let's, yep. let's, that's he, how I've known you all my life, and thank
1: you. Oh, he, uh, come here, Cooper. Can you come here? Yes. We would call your brother, too, but I just – Now, what is the number one rule of dad? Come here. Dad always
0: does what he says.
1: Did you hear that? Cooper, let me say hello to you. Cooper, come over here. Want, my name is Tim
0: Cooper. Hi. Hi. Lean down. Hi. You have a great dad. I respect him a great
1: deal. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What's the number one rule of dad? We'll always do what you say. You always do what you say.
0: Always do what you say.
1: Yep. So I always say, I've never been happier in my life than seeing my children be happy. Yeah. Or seeing them be proud or accomplish something. And it's even small things that make me happy. And the boys will tell you, I tear up all the time, and I always have. But it, it, I'm liter- I am literally that proud of them. I mean, it's, they, they are wonderful humans, um, and they amaze me every day. So. Yeah.
0: Dave, thank you very much. In Beginning with that one short interaction many years ago when I was starting my career and now being able to reconnect with you due to different transitions in my career, different shortcomings and even a tragedy in your life and your family, I'm still very, very grateful for being able to have your time, uh, your mentorship, your leadership, because it has impacted me and my life and my career. So I can't thank you enough once again, Dave, for your time. And uh, I look forward to sharing a lot of great news and successes with you and in your, in your every initiative with pheochromocytoma and more. Uh, and I can't wait to hear some comments from those who are going to listen to this podcast.
1: And, I'm, and- I'm excited about it too. But listen, I'm honored and humbled that you would even ask me to do this, and it's my pleasure to do it. And I'm glad to help anyone in any way that I possibly can. Uh, and, you know, let's, you and I stay connected and if there's other ways that I can help, I'm certainly glad to do that as well. But thank you for the opportunity. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.